This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today we're doing something a little different here on the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. We're going to talk about an iconic Canadian show that was not filmed in Vancouver, but that did impact the lives of pretty much everyone who watched it, including a lot of the people who work in the Vancouver film and television industry. I'm talking, of course, about Degrassi. OG Degrassi, like the kids of Degrassi Street, Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. The pre-internet incarnations of Degrassi, all shot on location in Toronto area schools, tackle topics that weren't being broached anywhere else on children's television. Interracial dating, Michelle's parents didn't want her dating BLT because he was black, sexual violence and child abuse, teen suicide, like when Caitlin's ex-boyfriend Claude killed himself in the school bathroom, drunk driving, epilepsy, depression, grief, abortion, bullying, poverty, teen pregnancy, like 14-year-old Spike and Shane conceived baby Emma at Lucy's party, AIDS, burgeoning sexuality, like when Caitlin thought she might be a lesbian because she had erotic dreams about her very hot female teacher. Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High explored all of these heavy topics with kids playing their actual age. And despite the gravity of the subject matter, Degrassi was entertaining. It was fun. Joey wore a fedora and formed a band called the Zit Remedy with Wheels and Snake in which they only played one song, Everybody Wants Something. And yes, I am wearing, I'm wearing my Everybody Wants Something shirt right now. Uh, and it was relatable. The kids wore clothes from Zellers and their school looked just like my school. It was must-see TV for an entire generation of Canadian kids who standing knew no bounds, even if they hadn't yet learned the term standing. And now we're all grown up. It's true. Where are our Degrassi kids now? How did Degrassi change their lives? And do they know how much they meant to an entire generation of Canadian kids who are now Canadian 40-somethings? Well, thanks to Joey Jeremiah, we don't have to wait any longer for answers. Now, I don't actually mean Joey Jeremiah, because if he were here, I'd have a few choice words for him about how we treated Caitlin and Tessa in Schools Out. No, I actually mean Joey's portrayer, Mr. Pat Mastroianni. Pat is the filmmaker behind a documentary called A Narbo's Guide to Being a Broomhead, which unfolds during a three-day cast reunion weekend in Toronto, attended by fans from all over the world. Pat intercuts poignant and funny moments from the reunion weekend with camcorder footage and personal photos from behind the scenes at Degrassi. The result is a film that gives viewers a front row seat to a one-of-a-kind fan experience. 
and also insight into the many ways the young actors were impacted by their time in the, in the Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High worlds. It's a funny and also moving documentary for the generation of Canadians who grew up with Snake and Wheels and Caitlin and Joey and get an inside look into one of the most iconic and groundbreaking series to come out of Canada. So today, we're going to grill Pat all about it. Pat Mastroianni. Am I saying that right? I hope so. You are doing great. I really should have had you uh, write my autobiography. You're, you're a wonderful journalist. I mean, your words, you're so articulate. I'm so envious. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut and paste all of that into a doc for you. Feel free to use. <laughs> Pat Mastroianni, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Uh, as I said earlier, it's been a few years since we last saw each other, but um, and I don't do very many podcasts, but uh, for you, I wanted to make a special exception. Uh, you actually watched my documentary, and I appreciate it. I did. And uh, what did you, what'd you think of it? What did I think of it? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, I cried. I... <laughs> I learned, I learned so much. I learned a lot about, about the actors and about the impact that the show had on them. Um, and uh, I, I also, I, I learned a lot about the fans as well, you know, just to, to really see that it wasn't just me who, for whom this was must-see TV and who actually, you know, learned a lot about stuff that wasn't being taught in schools. And I couldn't go on the internet. I couldn't Google anything. There was no Google at the time. So I thought it was wonderful. You know, I remember when you started uh, your the social media campaign about Degrassi Palooza and I was sending my sister who lives in Whitby all of the info. I'm like, you gotta go to this event. You gotta go. Uh, Cause I was like, I was jealous. I was jealous. I love living in Vancouver now, but I was so jealous that I didn't get to go. And so, and yet this, the documentary, it, like, I, I felt like I was there. Then you had all that incredible, like, I'm, I'm assuming it was you or Stefan or somebody, the camcorder footage, you know, from the 80s and the early 90s, from the actual behind the scenes at Degrassi. That was so rad, too. So... Yeah, it was awesome to have that footage. And unfortunately, we had misplaced about four more tapes of uh, behind the scenes footage from back in the day. Uh, what we had done, uh, we started a tradition back in junior high where we would put together a little cast yearbook for the, the cast and the crew. And the very first year that we um, did the yearbook, it was done with photocopied paper, black and white on mm -hmm. the photocopier at the office. And then we actually got a little budget where we could actually create a really nice yearbook. And it went on and, and then we had a hardcover one year. Well, one of the last years on the set, um, uh, I almost called her by her character name, uh, Maureen McKay, who played Michelle, and Rebecca Haynes, saw who played Kathleen and Stefan Brogren and a few others from the show um, decided to do a, a video yearbook. So for weeks and months, we, we, we just goofed around on set with these camcorders that we had. And you have to remember back in 1990, 91, the concept of being able to have a mobile studio in your, in your hand over your shoulder, you know, that was newscasters, but they had that kind of technology, not really too many people had their own camcorders. So for us, we were all hamming it up to, in front of the cameras. It was just a novelty. And so it really gave a little bit of insight what it was like to be on set. Um, I, I tried with the documentary to sort of pull back the curtain on people's either preconceived notions of, of what the actors were like in real life. 
Um, you know, were they their characters or were they playing a completely different person? Uh, for example, in the documentary, we joke about Amanda Steptoe's potty mouth because uh, she talks <laughs> like a truck driver oh, in real man. life. So again, you know, you, you see these characters on TV for years or decades and you think of them as a specific kind of person, uh, a real person. Uh, and, and we basically got to not only show the world what we're like in real life, but uh, the fans got to show us how much the show meant to them. Because like you said, there was no internet, there was no social media. There, once in a blue moon, we'd get a, a fan letter at the office, uh, you know, addressed to us. And, and that's how we sort of got that kind of gratification from the public. But really there was no understanding of the reach that mm -hmm. we had because, you know, once in a while we would bump into people on the street but not to this degree, not to the degree that the love that we've felt over the past few years doing the Degrassi tour and going to conventions across the country or having uh, schools out screenings uh, in cities and towns across the country uh, where fans can actually talk to us uh, during the Q&A panels uh, afterwards. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, you know, I started this off us saying thank you to the fans, but really we've gained so much ourselves from this experience that I needed, I, I had to share this with my fellow castmates. There were so many of them that were like, oh, I'd love to come on a convention tour with you or a Comic-Con with you. And I'm like, unfortunately it doesn't work that way. Usually we're lucky if we can get one or two cast members to appear at a convention. Um, and there was like 25 cast members that were you know, really excited at the idea. Um, Plus, to have, you know, Kit Hood, our, one of our co-creators uh, slash director, uh, agree to a, appear publicly for the first time in 25 years to speak about Degrassi was phenomenal. Uh, and Yan Moore, our head writer, and his wife, Catherine Ellis, our publicist back in the day. I mean, just having all these people together to give their personal insights and tell their stories was really just a, a treat, uh, not only for me and the fans, but I, I think for them as well. I mean, they were emotional. Um, and, and again, the, the documentary, it's not flashy, it's not slick, it, it's kind of like the kids of Degrassi Street, it's guerrilla filmmaking, um, but at the end of the day, it has a lot of heart. <laughs> I it love the kids of Degrassi Street, by the <laughs> exactly, way. I don't think right? it gets enough respect in the Degrassi universe, but it was the it original. Should. It should. It was, it was. It helped <laughs> lay the foundation. It really did help lay the foundation for what was to become of the of the series. So, um, yeah. and I even I even gave them a, a tribute uh, panel uh, at Palooza. Um, and you know, it's unfortunate that I could only do a, a ninety minute documentary. But the good thing is, is in the coming weeks, I'm going to be releasing all the behind the scenes footage. I'm going to be releasing ten hours of of footage that wasn't obviously in the documentary. So oh, wow. The full panels, because we did separate panels of different cast members, uh, the full opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, all these different panels that weren't even mentioned in the documentary are, are going to be available to the public. So then they'll really feel like they were there uh, because they'll get to see everything that happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, uh, it was a wonderful project during COVID to work on it. And um, I, I wish I could have gone back and done some follow-up interviews with the cast, but it just wasn't meant to be because we were social distancing. Mm -hmm. So I, I did what I could with the, with the footage that I had from the old days, uh, the footage from Palooza. We only had a couple of cameras uh, and I did my best to do some fancy editing to, to make it look like we had maybe five cameras. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't, have the support of the people that own the Degrassi 
franchise, the trademark. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't call the documentary Degrassi Palooza. I couldn't use original footage from the show or anything like that. I mean, even CBC wouldn't help me out and give me old footage from documentaries that they had done about the show because I would have loved to have used some of that archival footage. Mm. Um, so it was really, you know, with limited resources and, and limited help, uh, I, I was able to pull this off. And I think at the end of the day, it, it's a nice keepsake for those 300 fans that we had at, that attended Palooza, but it's also a nice thing to show for people around the world that couldn't travel to Toronto or couldn't make the event. Well, and that's, and that's like when I sat down to watch it, I was wondering if, if, so, if it would be, if it would speak to me as somebody who loves Degrassi, but wasn't there. Like, it, like was this really for, for somebody who wasn't at the event? It's really for somebody who wasn't at the event. And it also made me be like, okay, when there's no more COVID and, you know, when Pat's recovered enough from this to do another another Palooza weekend, I, I got to figure out a way to be there. So before before we go on, I do want to I do want to hear because um, you didn't call the the documentary the Degrassi Palooza documentary. It's it's technically it's called Narbo's Guide to Being a Broomhead. Um, which people who watch the show, like that, you, you, you hear Narbo a bit, but can, can you explain, and then in the documentary, explain it a little bit too, but can you talk a bit about, um, about what a Narbo is and uh, why this was the perfect title for, for your film? Well, funny enough, I also wrote an autobiography during COVID, <laughs> and I called it Narbo's Guide to Being a Broomhead, um, because uh, one, I'm, I'm trying to you know circumvent trademark infringement and all that good stuff, but at the same time, to a hardcore Degrassi fan, they know what the words uh, represent. It was vulgarity that we, you know, we couldn't say swear words on the CBC or PBS, so we came up with words that would substitute for, for vulgarity. Um, but then the crew, uh, would always use those words towards us saying, hey, let's get a couple of Narbos on set or get that broom head over here because, you know, <laughs> they were trying to either insult us or they were being <laughs> endearing. I don't know what it was, but to the fans, <laughs> to the fans that would hear the words, it started to to, to resonate and, and, you know, it would be a, an inside joke. If you knew what a Narbo was, then you were like a hardcore Degrassi fan. So during the weekend of Palooza, I, I turned that language around and I made it a positive uh, uh, word or words towards our, our fans. So I, I didn't want to call someone who loved Degrassi and, and was a loyal fan of Degrassi a fan because I just don't like the word fan. So I, I wanted to call them Narbos and Broomheads to make them one of us, to make them part of the gang, part of the inside, the inner circle, and, and, and just welcome them into the family, into the fold. So when I call you know, fans Narbos and Broomheads, it's me being very endearing towards them because they gave me the life that I've enjoyed for 30 years. Um, they helped make this show a success. It, if it wasn't for them watching week after week and then coming back, watching the next generation, um, you know, the series would have probably just disappeared you know, back in the early 90s and, and, and forgotten. But it is because of that loyalty. It, it is because um, the show meant something to them and, and they carry it with them through their lives. Uh, and they look back on it fondly like an old friend um, that I was able to put on this event. And you know, how many shows can you mention that after 30 years, people still care and want to know what the actors are up to or you know, uh, have a story to tell about um, you know, how, how a topic on the series either touched them in one way or they could relate to that storyline or that character. Uh, in some way. Uh, we, we met so many people at Palooza 
that came up to us and said, you know, I was going through a really difficult time in my youth. And, and I remember watching myself on screen being portrayed by Amanda Steptoe. And it made me feel less alone. It made me feel like someone understood what I was going through. So it's that kind of conversation that made me emotional and our director, uh, Kid Hood, emotional and, and, the, and the whole cast because we just kept hearing it over and over again all weekend long. Yeah. Um, I know you did a, a similar uh, event. You did a screening out here in Vancouver at the beautiful Rio Theater. Um, so this is... This is more my hood now, my side of the country. Well, what, what's, I mean, and you have gone, you've been in the prairies, you've been throughout Ontario. Like when you are traveling across the country, you know, meeting, meeting your narbos and broomheads at all sorts of uh, events, what, what are, like, are you hearing the same things from, from a, fans who aren't in Toronto? You know what? It's amazing. Uh, every time I go to a new city, I'm afraid that the response won't be positive, that we won't get a full uh, crowd uh, appearing at the theater or coming to the convention to see us because we're competing against current superstars that are appearing at these comic, con comic conventions. So every time we go to a different city and we find out that there are fans that have driven two, three, four, five hours to come to that event, it's just an amazing compliment to us that, and, and again, like we're the kind of cast that, you know, we come around the table, we hug, we kiss, we, you know, we, we make each moment a micro moment for each fan so that they walk away feeling like they connected to us again. And it is something that we go, go it's, we're emotionally exhausted by the end of a weekend to tell you the truth, but it is so worth it because um, we realize how much time and energy and effort they put into the show it's only fair that we give them that two, three, four, five minutes uh, of just one-on-one -on -one dialogue to make them feel like they have that connection. Um, and again, when we do our screening events at theaters, we offer that opportunity to give certain fans uh, extra special attention. We call it like the VIP experience where people can come an hour before yeah. we have a, a, a small intimate conversation with them. Maybe there's 30 people or 40 people and we just sit around and we chat for an hour. Um, and then we have the big, you know, 300 person Q and A after the movie. And it always gets crazy and silly and jokes are flying and old stories are being told. And uh, they always love to hear the, the behind the scenes stories. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how no matter if you're from Vancouver or Halifax, um, it's the same, you know, we're kids growing up at that time, we were all insecure. We were all, you know, <laughs> desperate to be liked. And, and um, some, you know, didn't have the kind of relationships in their real life that the characters on Degrassi had. So for some of our fans, Degrassi was that virtual school that they wish they had gone to. And, and some of those characters were, were the friends that they wish they had. So they kind of connected more to the show and the characters than they did to their own high school experience um, and, and I get that um, you know I was a little bit of a, a, a nerd in, in the ninth grade and I was shy and insecure and um, you know throughout my whole high school experience I, I had the luxury of being on this television show that helped build me up and um, turn me into the person that I became but a lot of people didn't have that experience a lot of people were throughout their entire high school life was just this quiet shy um, uh, socially awkward uh, person and and they didn't get that full high school school experience. So by connecting to the show, connecting to the characters, they felt like they went to a, a real high school that where they felt like they were part of a group. And that's mm. what I what I hear from a lot of people. Uh, mm. It's very strange how how it, just a, a simple TV show can make such an impact. And you know we weren't out there curing cancer. Obviously, we were a melodramatic soap opera 
that people just enjoyed. And, and I think it was the honest storytelling that people could relate to and connected with. And it still rings true today. I, I have a lot of parents that come up to me and say, I, I, I got my you know, 10-year-old kid into Degrassi Junior High. They're watching it now. Um, yeah. Because it's it's real television, not the kind of stuff that we see on TV today. Yeah, that's I I love to hear that. Um, <laughs> at Degrassi Palooza, Palooza specifically, what were some of the the memorable questions that 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 fans that the Narbos and Broomheads you know had for you guys on stage? Uh, you know, there's so many, and and we absolutely. Uh, I, I picked, I, I cherry picked some of the best moments in, in the documentary uh, where, where fan, fans, you know, were asking questions. Um, one of them being, you know, your clothes, you know, did you pick your own clothing back then? And you could see in all of our faces that we were just like, no, our clothing came from the Salvation Army or Valley Village. And, you know, you know, the, the, the pain that the actors, like, the, when they're telling these stories about their wardrobe is, is very funny to me because we finally get some justification after 30 years. We, we blame Judy, uh, our wardrobe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, was, who was at Palooza, uh, you know, funny enough. And um, we, we should have put her uh, on the mic at that point uh, to, to explain herself and why she made us all wear such horrible clothes on the oh, show. Oh, please, you but- were all iconic. <laughs> I mean, come on. If you were just like well, I, dre- dressed to be stylish, it, it's then you'd be forgettable. But but you think of the hat and the and the vest and everything like that's forward thinking. That's memorable. It really was. It yeah. really was. And and I give credit to Nicole Stoffman who played uh, Stephanie K. Stephanie uh, K. All the way. Yeah. She she said that uh, she was the one that suggested that Joey gets a, a fedora, and and uh, it started with a beret. And then it turned into a, a fedora and it stuck as a fedora. And I guess, you know, th- that's like the 80s version of a hipster, maybe back then. Uh, <laughs> I, I know the actor uh, who played Claude on the show, that was all his own clothing. So we had a fan come up and say, you know, did you dress yourself on the show? Because I really liked your style. And he goes, no, that was me. That was all me. And um, yeah, you know what? It, everybody had a really nice time. I think every actor that was on stage had their moment. Uh, in one way or another, like you got to remember, ninety percent of the cast after the show ended, they just went on with their lives. They went to school, they became teachers, educators, lawyers, you know, whatever, and they never looked back. They 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 started families and and went out of the limelight. Many of their colleagues uh, or coworkers didn't even know that they were on Degrassi until we started to promote the event and they started to repost and retweet and all that kind of stuff and. And people would come up and go, I didn't know you were on that show. And, and so they all got to kind of, you know, put their heads up high, get on that stage. And, and for a brief moment, for a weekend, get to soak in all that amazing positivity that um, yeah. they were never given. Uh, and, and so it meant a lot for me to be able to give that gift one last time to all of them. And especially Kit Hood, who uh, unfortunately passed away back in January, in January 2020, yeah. unexpectedly and suddenly, you know, seven months after Palooza. So that is the biggest gift that um, I think we all got, was not only to be able to see him again in person, but to also hear his stories and to also uh, give him that sense of um, satisfaction. He said at the end of the documentary, he said that he was, um, oh, what was the word that he used? Do you remember Sabrina? Because I can't. I remember. know it was fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, no, I was. Elated, uh, but I elated. He said elated. Yeah. He said that he felt elated 
from the whole weekend. And here's a man that went off. He moved uh, to Halifax and became a, a farmer, a, a, a bee farmer, um, and, and just basically got out of the limelight. And to come back and be put back into the spotlight and be applauded for his contribution, uh, it meant a lot, not, not just to him, but to everybody that was there. That was so. one of the moments where I did cry, knowing mm -hmm. as I did that he, that he passed away. Um, exactly. And so that you had given him that gift of, of knowing, finally knowing and understanding and internalizing what the show means to all of us. I thought that was, yeah, that was really yeah, beautiful. We all carry a, a story, a behind the scenes story of our experience on the show that we will never reveal to the public. It's our own private experience of what it was meant to, to work on the show and, and the things that happened behind the scenes. Um, some of us carried a lot of bitterness and resentment and anger and um, we, we don't get it, we don't touch upon it, we don't dwell on it, we don't discuss it. But to, to each person that was there, um, for many of them, it, there was a closure with, with a pen, uh, attending Palooza. And uh, we, we all walked away with a positive experience at the end of the day. And, and that's what I was trying to do because there was a decade where I wouldn't even talk about Degrassi. I wouldn't, if, if somebody wanted to do an interview, I'd be like, nope, don't do it. I don't talk about Degrassi anymore. So there was a 10 year period where I was just, hmm. and now I've done the 180, right? I'm, I'm now embracing my legacy. I'm embracing the contribution that I made to Canadian pop culture but also Canadian television and, and to lives around the world. And I'm very proud of it. So, um, you know, but, but for other people, um, there was a darkness to, to their experience on Degrassi. And I, and I hope I, I brought in some, some light, some positive light to, to that. And, and to this day, I still have uh, folks from, from Palooza contacting me by email or calling me or texting me. And uh, there's just a lot of love now, which is really, really nice. And uh, I, I wish it didn't take uh, 25 years to, to, to make this reunion happen. Uh, mm. I wish it could have happened a lot sooner. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting I, how, how you talk about your changing relationship to to Degrassi and to the, the Degrassi of it all. How do mm -hmm. you, what, like, how do you, who are you now? Like, I, I was kind of, like, what does Degrassi mean to you now? And what is your role now? Because I was thinking, you know, looking at, at the work that you've done recently and um, the community that you brought together, like, I was like, is he like the Degrassi archivist? You know, like, or like the historian or, you know, that he's, he, or, or a community leader, like, like, because it's not, it's not just a, a case of like, you love Degrassi a lot, which you obviously do, but you're, you're, you're doing something in the moment to honor it. So it's like, is there a label that we could stick on you <laughs> that uh, you describes your relationship to Degrassi now and what you're trying to well, do? It, it wasn't something that I woke up thinking I was going to do. Um, for starters, uh, it, it all started, believe it or not, and you're going to think this is very strange, but um, I fell back in love with collecting comic books about 10 years ago. Uh, and I know that how does, how does the two, you know, uh, connect? But um, when I started to uh, collect comic books again and, and, and revisit my childhood and my, my passion for um, Silver Age comic books and, and whatnot, uh, I started to go to uh, conventions, mm -hmm. uh, comic book dealers uh, across Toronto, uh, speaking to them because I, you know, trying to find that Hulk number one or that Spider-Man number one or whatever. Um, and they, they would often say to me, hey, why aren't you appearing at these comic conventions? Yeah. I'm like, why? Why would I appear at a comic convention? 
have nothing to do with comics or, or anything like that. And they're like, no, 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 no. They are pop culture celebrations. They yeah. are more about just comic books. You know, celebrity guests appear and they meet fans and fans get pictures taken with them and autographs. I'm like, oh, that, that seems kind of cool. And so a friend of mine at Paradise Comics in Toronto spoke to a friend of his at Niagara Falls Comic Con. And the uh, showrunner, uh, Chris Dabrowski, uh, said, absolutely, I watched Degrassi and I would love to have him appear at my convention. So that was my very first convention, I think back in 2013. And I went by myself and I was like, no one's going to want to meet me and get my autograph or whatever. Well, wouldn't you know it? I was one of the most popular guests. I was sitting, I was sitting next to Lou Ferrigno, the Hulk, you know, <laughs> from the 70s. And, yes, and we were, we big were having Lou. A blast. Yeah, yeah. We were having a blast. And I was like, oh, my God, this is phenomenal. This is great. And then I started to get the stories from the fans as they would come up one by one. And all these people would attend my panel and I would speak to them about being my experience of being on the show. And I was like, wow, that was an amazing experience. And then cut to a couple of years later, I want people would often say, what's Snake to, up to? What, whatever happened to Caitlin? What happened to Tessa Campanelli? And I'm like, well, you know what? We're, we're reaching the 25th anniversary of, of Schools Out. Maybe they would like to do a special reunion appearance at Toronto uh, Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have one of the biggest comic conventions in the country called Fan Expo. Well, um, I started working towards putting that together and and lo and behold we, we we got to do our little reunion appearance and and they had a blast Stefan was like this is amazing and Stacy and and Kirsten were like this is awesome and Kirsten who played Tessa her story was very interesting because she left the series after doing schools out went off to London for school never heard from anybody ever after schools out aired she didn't even know if anybody liked her performance the producers never reached her um, the media never reached her so she kind of disappeared into oblivion and was like I guess they didn't like what I did and 25 years goes by and I find her on Facebook through her brother and he gets a hold of her for me passes her my email she contacts me and she tells me the story. I'm like, are you crazy? You're Tessa effing Campanelli. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. You are allowed to swear do. on my podcast. Okay. By the way. Well, you know what? This isn't the CBC. It's an old <laughs> habit of mine. It's a very old habit, but I do get I do get a little uh, potty mouth from time to time. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, Kirsten, you're Tessa fucking Campanelli, man. Like, come on, everyone loves you. So it was it was now my mission to make Kirsten see the impact that her character had because I think a lot of women could relate to her character you're you're young you fall in love with somebody you think that they love you back but you're just being used and then they they throw you away and they they toss you aside and you're like what the hell happened and you know so I think a lot of young ladies and even men could relate to the Tessa Campanelli character so um it was my mission now to like she was my first sort of mission (laughs) to to bring into the fold (laughs) to show the love to make her feel like what she had done meant something. So again, cut to her appearance at Toronto Comic-Con and everybody coming up to her, asking for her autograph and her photo and, and all that kind of stuff and giving her all this love. And she was just head over heels with it. So we went to a bunch of other cities after that and it kept evolving, it kept growing and more and more conventions would reach out to us because they would hear how successful our past appearance was. And, um, and then the idea came about that, you know, maybe if I created an event that took place at the actual school where we filmed Degrassi High. You know, maybe I could bring 10 guests in and we can have a, a, couple, a two-day event at, at the school. Well, that was my original plan. Mm-hmm. After three months of attempting to, to, to do it at that school, 
I realized very quickly that they were not in the business of putting on events. They were in the business of education and, and selling books and, and college education. Yeah. And I just said, this is not the right venue. I can't host 300 people in this school. Um, even the max capacities for the rooms that I could have used to do the panels were only 35, 40 people. So yeah. it, very quickly I realized I made a big mistake in thinking I could do it at the school. So immediately I, I went to a, a friend of mine who puts on a, a Winona Earp convention uh, here in Toronto and she told me about the Weston Hotel and it just worked out really, really well. We had a capacity of over five, 600 people that could have attended Palooza if, if that, that was the case. So yeah. um, it turned into a very professional, very well-organized oil machine, uh, a lot of assistance, a lot of volunteers. It turned into this giant event and I didn't plan on it being like that, but that's just how it ended up. And I'm very grateful that it did. Everything works out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it's nice to have this little documentary as a keepsake uh, for those who attended, but also those who, who couldn't attend. Yeah. Um, and as we near the end of the episode, we are going to tell our listeners how they can watch this documentary right now. Right now. But yeah, before, well, <laughs> before we get there. Want, no? Okay. No, no, no. That's, that's going to hold them. That's gonna oh. hold them, uh, oh. I, but I do. I want to ask. I want to talk a little bit more. Well, I got you on the line about mm -hmm. Joey, who I totally crushed on and also hated. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was definitely love hate. Um, crushed on, but then uh, schools out happen, and uh, and then I saw that in my own life and. Yeah, me, me, and, you know, me and Joey, we've been through some things. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I'm just really curious about for you, what were your, what were your, some of your most memorable Joey, Jeremiah, like, storylines? Well, obviously, walking through the cafeteria is, is the go-to story. Everybody remembers that. They weren't expecting it to be We're seen. We're talking like, naked with the fedora. Yeah, <laughs> with the fedora. Um, you know, I think that for a children's television show on the CBC, that was probably one of the last things anybody was expecting to happen on the show. Um, and certainly, as an actor, I wasn't ever being... I wasn't expecting to be asked to do something like that, um, but they kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse um, in, in the way they do things back then. Um, it was either do it or you're fired. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so I did it. I, you know, yeah. I'm a young, I'm a young actor. I'm trying my best, and I, I'm on a TV show that I love. And I, why do I want to be fired? I don't want to be fired. But that's basically what they said would happen if I didn't do it. So um, yeah, I begrudgingly did it. But at the time, I was struggling with the idea of do I really want to be an actor for the rest of my life, and how far am I willing to go as an actor to portray a role? Um, am I willing to go outside my comfort zone to play a character? And so I took it up as a challenge. You know, if I could do this, if I could literally be naked in front of a room full of people, then really there's nothing else I can't tackle as an actor. So um, I took it on as a challenge. And, um, and it was one of those amazing, memorable moments from the show that a, a lot of the fans love to bust my chops about. And uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's also available on a button. I think I've seen it. I've seen it on a button. Uh, I'm wearing a yeah. different button, but you know, people love to. I mean, because it wasn't just that one room; it was also uh, TV rooms across the nation. You know, how did you how did you respond when Joey did something that you didn't agree with? Like, did you like Joey all the time? 
Yeah. Um, you like him? I, I think I did. I, I think I understood Joey because to a certain degree, um, he was a very insecure guy that was just trying to be liked by his peers, but also by the ladies. Um, I think any young awkward guy can relate to that that you know i remember in grade nine before the show uh a couple of the cool kids convinced me to light a firecracker in my english class um because i i wanted them to like me and so they handed me this you know firecracker and a lighter and i lit it and i threw it and it exploded and the whole class lit up in smoke and they're laughing and i get sent to the principal's office i almost get expelled but the principal realized that i'm too stupid to be the brains behind the operation and i was just you know following orders but at the time i wanted these cool kids to think i was cool so i get it i understand why a young impressionable kid would do stupid things because they want to be liked so, you know, you're talking about a cringe moment. That's a cringe <laughs> moment for me um, where, you know, you do stupid things growing up because you think others will think you're cool for doing it. Yeah. And at the, at the end of the day, you eventually have to build your own personality. I think once you grow up and you, you're confident in who you are and you're confident in your own personality, then it doesn't matter what you say and do because, you know, you're, you're the master of your own domain. You know and who you are. You know who you are. Yeah. And I think it took my entire high school experience and even after Degrassi to figure out who the heck Pat Max Triani is. And, and to a certain degree, even at age 49, I'm still trying to reinvent myself. I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I'm going to do moving forward. Um, and what's going to make me happy. And yeah. at the end of the day, for the past few years, this has made me happy. Um, this tour has made me happy, and reacquainting with my fellow cast members has made me happy. So, so you ask me who I am and what my role is in the community, maybe ambassador is a good word to use. Oh, um, I, like I like that, that word. Um, you know, it is an uphill battle because I'm doing it all without the support of the company that owns the trademark. So I always have to respect that the name Degrassi is not mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just a guy who, who worked on that show. But the legacy that I've helped leave behind is mine. And I will always be proud of that. And I will always promote and support that uh, and own it. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, I want my fellow cast members to feel like they own their contribution as well. Where and how can people all over the world all Narbos and Broomheads. Where can we watch Narbo's Guide to Being a Broomhead? The easiest way I can tell folks uh, where to find the link is to go to DegrassiTour.com. And on my homepage, there's a, uh, a link uh, right there, and you can watch yeah, the trailer. Yeah, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. <laughs> you really can't. Uh, so right DegrassiTour.com. Uh, and we're also on all social media, on Twitter, on, on Instagram, on Facebook as Degrassi Tour. Um, and there's all links of that kind of nature. And also that's where you can find out about any future appearances that we'll hopefully be getting. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately, this year was supposed to be a completely different year for, for me and my cast member friends. We were going to screen the movie in, in cities across the country and do these appearances and... and you know, one, one weekend it was going to be Caitlin and I, and then, you know, Tessa and I, or Snake and I, and um, it was supposed to be that kind of tour. 
yeah. where we didn't have to use schools out anymore as the vehicle is going to be the documentary. So now that it's out there and people can watch it and enjoy it, um, you know, for this year, we'll, we'll do it like that. And then hopefully next year, um, when, when people are really kind of jonesing to get back out again and we've dealt with this whole COVID bullshit, Mm-hmm. Um, and we can start doing screenings again in movie theaters. I'm sure a lot of the independent theaters and venues, entertainment venues are going to be, you know, struggling and, and going to want fun, interesting events to, to, to host. And hopefully we can be one of those events that we could uh, do live appearances at uh, for 2021 uh, and, and help, you know, rebuild this, this um, live entertainment venue. Because uh, they've been struggling uh, ever since COVID, you know, uh, live music, live entertainment, comedians, you know, uh, Snake's uh, real life wife, Michelle, she's a comedian and, and you know, her living is stand up. And, you know, in Toronto, we were uh, max capacity, I think it was like 25 people indoors. So yeah. you can't do a comedy act um, like that. So um, we're all just kind of in a holding pattern right now, everybody in the world, uh, you know. We're waiting for that vaccine, and, and that's still going to take time to, to get out and about and distribute it to everybody. So um, hopefully this little trip down memory lane will will uh, keep people occupied for a little bit, a 90-minute uh, escape, so to speak. And, um, yeah, and, and that's what I can offer right now. Well, and we gladly accept it. We do. And I have to say, watching this documentary, it, it made me – it made me feel some big feelings that uh, big, big laughs and also like just nice, profound, you know, nostalgia related feelings. And I, I it was nice not to be just terrified or horrified by the uh, dumpster fire that is 2020 for 90 minutes. So thank you for that. Pat Mastroianni. Uh, I got it, right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Um, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? Well, you know, Degrassi tour really is me now. Uh, that, yeah. that is the best way. Um, I, I try to interact as much as possible, uh, if not daily, um, every other day. And, and, and I read all those comments. I, I appreciate when people leave a positive comment and um, want to have an exchange. And, and that's the best place to do it. Um, it's where I feel safe as well. And um, there's a little bit of a distance that way. Because uh, I know that for a lot of um, Narbos and Broomheads that they've invested decades in, in a relationship with the show and, and they feel a, a bit of ownership uh, to, to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes there's a, a, a gray area there that sometimes uh, people try to, to, to cross. And I'm always, you know, respectful of that because um, I'm not my character and, and, and people... And, and other actors from the show, they're not their characters. So, um, you know, they, they always need a, a little bit of separation and, and respecting privacy and whatnot. And, you know, especially someone like, you know, Stacey Mystician, who I'm sure, you know, you know, Canada's sweetheart growing up, a lot of boys, you know, uh, love the character, Caitlin. And, and, you know, so Stacey gets a lot of that kind of, you know, you're my first crush and da, da, da. You know, but she's a you know married mom, two kids. She you know she takes care of her children. She has a very <laughs> mundane life. You know, it's a very she's not this superstar anymore that people think she is. And and so there's that separation of reality and 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 the perception of of what our lives are like um, to the public. So I, I think having a place like Degrassi Tour where uh, we can all sort of intermingle and, and chit chat and, and tell stories and show old photos is a really healthy environment and place to do that. Yeah, 
Wonderful. All right. Well, I'll be hanging Cece's out. She's going to kill me for lot. saying she. She's going to kill me for saying that she has a mundane life. But well, and like frankly, <laughs> I think she knows what I mean. As as a parent myself, especially <laughs> during the COVID, there are no bigger superstars than parents of kids during COVID because. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> the stuff that we're dealing with that we're, that we're not supposed to be dealing with, like sending our kids to school, homeschooling. These are not yeah. things that I was trained to do. I'm trained to podcast, not to, not to teach math. But anyway, here we are. Thank you so much, Pat. Always a pleasure. Thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review. Five stars, no less. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. Now, I'm going to put on my podcast voice. <clears throat> the YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. I'm the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger. Yes, Pat, we are a family business for technical support. And to Dane Devlet for the original music. Wavier Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Canada's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.